1: Hello and welcome to the Price of Football podcast. Here we are at week three already, doesn't time fly? My name is Kevin Day and with me as always is football finance expert Kieran Maguire from the University of Liverpool and this is the pod which follows the money behind our beautiful game. Hello Kieran, how are you? I'm very good, thank you Kevin. Good, safe journey down? Very good, yes, yes. Good. Trends, trends are fantastic. Now, uh, they are aren't they? We couldn't have said that 20 years ago going to away games. <laughs> um, last week we talked about Mike Ashley and Newcastle And we tried unsuccessfully then to make a case for the defence. This week, and again, I I know a lot of people have told us there are divisions outside the the Premier League and we will be covering them in depth and we'll be covering the whole game in depth um, in both England and Scotland. But there's one team that we're a similar age. um, We support very, very different teams, which is a big, big issue. I wish somebody had told me in some of the emails before we started this that you were a Brighton fan, but it's done now. We can't we can't we can't do anything about that really except put you in a time machine and teach you some sense. But yeah, that's not gonna happen. But in our time supporting football, one club in particular and I'm apologize to Liverpool and Man City fans, but one club in particular has dominated everything in, in English football pretty much. And despite its lack of success at the moment still does, and that club is is Manchester United, who have been, I think... I had an eye-opening experience when I did match the day two, and my editor sent me to Torquay to go to Old Trafford on a coach full of Man United fans. And, of course, I rubbed my hands together in Gleafing, and, and he said, no, I want you to go there to expel this myth that all Man United fans are glory hunters, because and, and he had this theory that you know, people supported Man United for, for valid reasons. right? And and it turned out he was right, because on that coach, there were people there who were from Manchester, there were people there whose parents had moved down for, for work, but also the, you know, the the Munich air crash, the European Cup, George Best. The, and, it, and also, to be fair, these were people that were getting on a coach at four o'clock in the morning to go to Manchester to support their team and went to every home and away game. So I couldn't throw the Glory Hunters epithet at, at them as many people do but for many decades United have been the focus of, of English football you genuinely either love them or you, you find very few people who are ambivalent about them and they've always been considered a financial giant, a financial BMO they've always had the biggest sponsorship deals, they've always spent the biggest money on transfers I, Steve Parish himself will tell you that in their dealings with, with Palace Zahar and wan they're very honourable, so my question for this pod is essentially are Man United still the biggest club? Are they the draw they once wore? Because you've got this situation where Ed Woodward, the CEO, on a weekly basis seems to find a reason to pronounce record profits or record something financially, but yet on the pitch they are severely underperforming despite the amount of money they've paid on this, this team.
2: It's a big question, I know, so feel free. I'll have a c- cup of tea while you crack on. Well, I think really, we ought to start with the with the reign of the glazers right um, They took over Manchester United in two thousand and five they They spent about seven hundred and seventy million pounds uh, on the club and prior to that, United had no debt whatsoever, none at all nope they they had money in the bank they didn't have a mortgage old trafford had been yeah old Trafford was built what, what they they were winning trophies every year under Sir Alex. They were able to outbid any other English club. So they were very successful. And they, they had a sort of stable ownership as well, didn't they,
1: at, at that time? And it wasn't you wouldn't call it a family-run club, and you wouldn't call it like Bob Lord who used to run Burnley, the local butcher who got lucky. But they, they had a sort of continuity of ownership for, for quite some time,
2: didn't they? That's right. The Edwards family had been involved. Um, they, they did bring them to the, the stock market, and that, and that generated more cash for the club, which was then invested both... Yeah, on and off the pitch in terms of infrastructure and players. So everything was going uh, pretty swimmingly. The Glazers came in and they took risk uh, because if you if you borrow £770 million... Sorry,
1: can I interrupt you there, which again, I know it's a theme of the pub. Why, if the club was that well run and that successful at the time, why did they go to the Glazers or agree to sell to the Glazers? Well, the, the Manchester
2: United were, were on the stock market Right, So, so oh, if, 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 if you're right. on the stock oh, no, market...
1: I, you can't turn down somebody who... I understand. That's yeah. right. So I say I understand, I don't fully,
2: but you know, for the purposes of moving on, I, I, understand, I do genuinely understand. Yes. If, if you've got a share, which is £2.50 and somebody yeah. offers you £3, yes. everybody will sell. And yeah. that's what happened with the Glazers. Um, and they continued to be reasonably successful. Um, the Glazers they, had the money to buy the club? No, the Glazers didn't have a bean. So, oh, the, so oh. the, Gla- the glazers went to the banks, and they bought. It's a bit like you or I taking out a one hundred percent mortgage. Me, yeah, not but, you. But <laughs> oh, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> but but the banks said, "Well, we don't know who the glazers are, and also they're American banks, and we're not exactly sure what soccer is." So, what the banks started to do was they started to charge large amounts of interest. So, so
1: they and- borrowed money they didn't have against. The club
2: they were going to buy. That's right. That, so, even I don't think that's a good business model, is it? It's a good business model if the club generates enough cash to pay back the banks and to give money to the owners as well. And you know, it did or didn't do that. They mainly gave it to the banks. Um, oh, so right. because since uh, since the Glazers acquired the club in two thousand and five, they said they bought it for seven hundred and seventy million. The banks have earned. 809 million pounds in interest in interest in interest alone and this is what upsets some of in, the united fans because they feel that I'm that not, money should have gone into the pitch i don't blame them that's that's in 14 years they've uh, what's that figure again
1: 800 and,
2: 809 million in interest that's right not in repayment just in interest no there's, they they still owe um, half a billion pounds in outstanding loans. It's a low of over five hundred million. So the Glazers or Manchester United, owe that money. Manchester United owe the banks five hundred million.
1: Holy m- ma- Really? Yeah. I I thought my eyebrow raising days were behind me. <laughs> so well, that's. I I mean, I knew, I I knew that they borrowed money against. the... I had no idea the figures were that that high. That's incredible. I suspect there might be some Man United fans that are alarmed by that. Is it a cause for
2: alarm? No because it was it, oh, it,
1: okay, it, it was a call,
2: it was a cause for alarm in the first few years right, and that's why the bank said, "Well we're not happy about this. The interest rates went up at one point to sixteen and a quarter percent on those loans. now they're around about three or four percent because the the stock market Sees that United is just a cash cow. It's always generating enough money to pay pay the banks their interest. So everybody's happy. And of
1: course, these are American banks, aren't they? These are these are not your high street banks,
2: are they? These are big. That's right. They're they're, they're the big American investment banks. Right. Um. And you know, HSBC and JP Morgan and all of those, that that type of banks. They, they they do they do their homework they would not have lent that money if they weren't certain that they were going to get it back. I think initially they were worried, which is why they said, well, we're going to charge you extra amounts of interest because we think you're a little bit risky. So the banks don't own Man United, the Glazers still own? The Glazers own the shares. Ah. The banks own the debt. You put those two together.
1: So where would you fit? There's been a lot of talk recently, um, and rightly so, because I have been there at Old Trafford, Parts of old Trafford in particular where you, you go down the Munich air tribute they're absolutely beautiful, very moving parts of old Trafford are quite shabby. it's looking its age even though it's it's still a gorgeous stadium so uh, two questions off the back of that who who you know we know who owns the debt and who owns the shares who owns old Trafford, and is there a reason why money's not being spent on it? because they're not they're not short of money for players because, you know, there's a lot of money for Maguire and a lot of money for wan thank you very much. But I'm not entirely sure he's worth it, but Old Trafford is kind of getting a bit of show. So what's, who, what, why are they not spending money on Old Trafford, which is an iconic ground, whoever you support, it's one of the... You can't get round the fact that you Man United, it's that classic cliche, you can find yourself in the remote jungles of Africa and somebody will know Bobby Charlton, but it's, it's, it's true. So why are they not spending money on Old Trafford? And who owns it?
2: Well, the, the club own the grounds. I mean, right. they they are doing what you might call maintenance. Yeah, they're doing they're doing their their annual repairs on the Yeah, We're doing
1: that at Sellers Park, as we all know, it's a shit hole. Let's, let's just be fair about it. It's, 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 that's fine. It's, well, it's, I love it. It's my dump. If you know, what I mean, but it's it, the least you'd expect of a club like Old Trafford, Man United, is that Old Trafford
2: is kept up to scratch. But they're not. Well, if, if, if people are prepared to come and watch the matches and not grumble. Then, then why spend? Right, and okay. and given, and again, this isn't a criticism of, of the United fan base, if United are playing at home against a small club such as Brighton or Palace... Whoa, whoa, what, whoa, whoa. What? Whoa, what, speak, you speak for yourself. What are the locals <laughs> the going to do? London.
1: Yeah, no, fair point.
2: What are the locals can do? They're going to flog their season tickets to tourists. Yes. The tourists are just happy. that They're there with the selfie sticks. Yes, you know, they're, they're there fair with point. the half-and-half scarves, which you, know, you and I have both been to Old Trafford to see our teams play, yes, yes. and we can't believe you know, who's buying this nonsense. Yeah. And then you look around, and there's as many in the home ends as the away ends. So the, the old school Reds, yeah, they'll still turn up for City and yeah. Liverpool and, and Leeds should they ever get into the, the Premier League again. Um, but they tend to pick and choose. The football tourists... They're just happy to be there. So Yeah, okay. They spend all of their time taking photographs, they don't even sit down. I agree with you that the the, the ground itself from a, from an away fans point of view isn't great. Um when they do spend money, at United, they will spend it on the hospitality boxes and the corporate areas because they can increase the prices. And whilst United do get a lot of stick, some of which is warranted, they've not increased season ticket prices mm. for eight years. Okay. So oh, right, okay, you're enough. still getting 2011 seats at 2011 prices. I
1: didn't know that. That's that's laudable, but is, is that a deliberate decision? That's it, not a, you know a benefactor decision. Is it? it's not a
2: generous decision, or is it? I, I think it's a common-sense decision. Right. The, the, the owners know that they're not popular. Um, if they were seen to be exploiting the fans, monetizing the fans, as the, as, as the accountants would call it, and the finances, any further, I, I think things could turn a bit ugly. We, we've seen what's happened with FC United of Manchester, the Splinter Club. I mean, I'm mean, i a co-owner of FC. Are I, you? I didn't know that. Um,
1: so you've got two clubs in. <laughs> I think we've already discussed that. I'm against that sort of thing, but cracking you know. That's fine. It's a, in no circumstances, yeah, I think that's fine because they're
2: a different sort of club and they came out of different circumstances. Yeah. So. Um, and, and so United haven't felt the need to spend money increasing the uh, the quality of the seats. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm six foot three. If I go to Old Trafford, I have to stand up. Uh, I mean, I'd stand up anyway, yeah, sure. but uh, I don't I don't have the opportunity to sit down because the seats okay. are so crammed together. They will argue... We've got 76,000 people turning up every week. There isn't a problem.
1: Well, yeah, sure. So, And they're clearly not skimping on transfers. They've paid a lot of money for transfers, and I presume their wages are relatively high. How long, then, would it take this... My my fear is that Solskjaer's a dead man walking, but that's for a different pod. How long would it take for Man United to be outside the Champions League or outside the Europa League or not winning things for their finances to start being eroded or are they
2: entirely financed by sponsorship deals, the brand? Well, I think the, the issue with United is that their sponsors, it's uh, Chevrolet and Adidas, they will have um, penalty clauses in those contracts. If oh. you do not qualify for the Champions League, we will reduce what we're going to give to you. So, so last year, uh, 2019, United... Had sales had revenue of six hundred and twenty-seven million. Their accounts is fourteen hundred pages of them. On one page, it said next year we think that the revenue is going to drop to about five sixty or five seventy. From
1: what was the first figure
2: six hundred and twenty-seven.
1: That's a lot, isn't it? So,
2: and that's partly due to they're not in the Champions League, but it's also partly due to the fact that what Manchester United historically have been brilliant at doing is going to different countries and say, do you want to be the official snack supplier of Manchester United in Malaysia? And then they go to Nigeria and do exactly the same. And then they will go to Australia and do exactly the same. And people have always wanted to do that because they say, oh, by the way, um, a couple of players from the first team squad, they're going to turn up in three weeks' time with the Champions League trophy, with the Premier League trophy, and your product's going to go alongside that. They're not in a position to do that anymore. So what we're seeing is commercial income, is flatlining. As I've said to you, in terms of um, matchday income, they've kept the prices static. So matchday income's income's flatlining. The only per- 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 way they're getting extra money is from TV. Uh,
1: well, thank God there's a lot on that for the Premier League clubs. Um, that, that's interesting you talk about going to places like Nigeria. it's always been a source of great amusement to me and many other football fans when you see... Poor old Ole Gunnar Solskjaer looking more and more like Gollum every week uh, in front of the the, the commercial sponsors board. I mean, and every week, there's am proud to be associated with Mexico's finest tractors and in association with Thailand's leading jam maker, which is, which is always like, come on, your Man United, you should be better than this. But the sponsorship is interesting because they've got an interesting sponsor and I'm kind of glad it's not like most of the clubs, unfortunately, including Palace, a uh, uh, far-eastern gambling operation but Chevrolet was kind of a strange sponsor really because that's again looking out to the world rather than Britain but rumors that the Chevrolet sponsorship might not last as as long as it was going to?
2: That's right I think there's one or two years left on the deal um, it was very lucrative it's I think it was 567 million pounds over, over uh, sort of eight or nine years um, and Chevrolet as you said they see Manchester United as, as a global club and they're trying to sell they're sell, trying to sell cars everywhere. Ironically, everywhere apart from the UK. Because in in 2013, when when the deal was signed, um, Chevrolet sold 11,000 cars in in the UK. 2019, to this year to date, they've sold 23. Ha! I'm sorry, that was in the
1: Man United fans. I apologise. That was an inappropriate response. It's gone from 11,000 to 23 in the. In the time that they've been sponsoring Man United? That's correct, yes. That's astonishing. So it's, that's pretty much 560 million quid down the drain, isn't well, it? Well, in, in, a, in a way.
2: They will argue that it's, it's still good for sales in the US and it's still good for sales in Australia and, and Asia. Um, it, it is rumoured that the person that negotiated the deal didn't survive too long at Chevrolet um, because the rest of the, the board of directors said, you've overpaid for this.
1: I mean, that's like when I ask people why Accrington play at the Wham Stadium and no one can give you an answer, which indicates that it wasn't a particularly clever move on the basis of Wham to sponsor a stadium. I mean, the Chevrolet deal, does that that imply that there aren't any... Either that United are looking as a global brand or that there aren't any British companies that can afford that sort of money to sponsor a, a team like... Are they, are they too big for the English market, if you like?
2: I, I think they probably are. If you, if you look at all of the sponsors, um, how many of them are UK companies in, in the Premier League? No, Hardly no, any. Point, no, fair point. Um, yeah, fair point. We've seen Liverpool with Standard Chartered. Uh, they've done very well. They've just renegotiated their deal. Um, I, th- I think you will see United going to another American company. I think if they manage to get the same amount of money, then that will actually prove to be pretty decent for, for a club that finished sixth last season is gonna to struggle to to get into the Champions League this season, um, unless they win the Europa League.
1: So if when when do they start then? If if they have financial problems, if sponsorship starts to fall off, as they tried to you know briefly mention on page whatever it was out of fourteen hundred pages, if they're sort of tucking away a million a hundred million pound loss in revenue, when do they start being unable to spend as much on players and on wages, or do they realise that if they go down that route, that could spiral, lead to even less success on, on the pitch, because Man United, it seems to me, are a club that simply can't afford to be outside the top six, simply simply for the, the, the global branding. So they, they're kind of in a situation where a club like Brighton or Palace, if we're lucky with the owners, we, we'll buy a, a, a marquee player every year. United kind of have to do it three or four every year, And also the fans demand that. If you're a Man United fan, you're not going to listen to sensible arguments. As we learned last week, Newcastle fans don't want to listen to sensible arguments about where they should be in the great scheme of things. Man United fans certainly don't want to listen. As you say, the tourists don't care, but the hardcore fans who still care, and there are billions of them, they they simply can't count. You can't say to a Man United fan, look, we have to cut our cloth according to our means if that means we're 12th, 13th. And also, that means they will then spiral into into decline,
2: won't they? Well, they could. I mean, if, if you look to see, you know, we we think of Newcastle. Yeah, we we're discussing last week are Newcastle, a big club. Yeah. I think Manchester United will always be a big club. I mean, Spurs are now one of the big six. When was the last time Spurs won anything?
1: Well, yeah, fair point. Well, the league, 1961. So, and that's not looking. That's an interesting point.
2: So. If you have a reputation, I think you can probably get away with it. Liverpool have not yet won the Premier League, and yeah. yet they're still considered to be a massive club. They are about to, to sign a, a new kit manufacturing deal with oh, really? Nike or New Balance yeah. or whoever it's going to be, and the money involved there is effectively going to be double the the, the expectations of their, their current deal. So you, you can, if you've got a legacy then people will still buy into that because there's still that hand down of supporting a club from parent to child, not only domestically, but also overseas. And United have that benefit on the back of winning the European Cup in 68, on the back of the, the Munich tragedy and things of that nature. And also the amazing work done by Sir Alex Ferguson, because... In the last, when when the glazers came in, his genius was he wasn't spending huge sums of money. Chelsea were on the rise because of Abramovich. You had City coming into the equation as well, and United was still doing well. Since 2013, there's been this succession of managers. Sir Alex ran it on on a relative shoestring compared to what we're seeing.
1: Oh, it's interesting. Okay,
2: because the banks had to be paid. Uh, we'll now, see. But he
1: remains a cheerleader for the Glazers, though, doesn't he, Sir Alex?
2: That's right. I mean, his, his relationship, I think the fans would absolutely love it if, he, if he'd turned round and, and was you know, seen sporting a green and gold scarf. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't see that happening. Um, so, sorry,
1: sorry. You, you hear, I'm, I'm, just, I'm sorry to interrupt because we need to move on. You hear a lot of pundits, Gary Level in particular, desperately clinging on to the idea that everything is cyclical. And that United's turn will come again without actually explaining how that's going to happen. Um, is is that the case? Or do you think United are now so far behind Liverpool, Man United, Tottenham even financially that they won't, won't be able to reach the similar heights with these same
2: people in charge, with the same owners? Um, no, I think the... To be fair to the Glazers, uh, and it's not often you hear anybody say to that. Yeah, true. Since Sir we Alex, tried to be fair to Mike Ashley last week, so we've done worse. To be fair, since Sir Alex uh, retired, they have spent over a billion pounds on players. But if you look at the side that they're putting out, yeah. how many of those would get into the Liverpool side, yeah, or the City side, even the Palace side? No, you no, you'd, you'd probably I'd... turn
1: down a few of them. Last you? year, I'd have taken that as an insult, but you, yeah, we beat them at Old Trafford in a way that uh, would never have happened under any other Man United. Mm. Certainly, you know, they, they equalised in the last minute under Ferguson, when there would have been 10 extra minutes, they would have scored again and we went to score again. That simply wouldn't have happened. under. You know, and that's an indication of how far United have have drifted, I think. But in in terms of the Glazers, and you said last week that there weren't many people knocking down Newcastle's door, a figure of roughly £335 million. Are the United still such a glamorous prospect that there are... Are, are people still buying, wanting to buy Man United? And if, if £335 million buys you
2: Newcastle, how much are you going to have to spend on Man United? Well, Manchester United at present are are a relative bargain. I was, I was doing some sums this morning. Yeah. Um, since last August, Manchester United's shares are traded in New York. And since last August, the value of the club on the stock market has fallen by £1,700 million. So you, you could now, in theory, the stock market price is about $2.6 billion. I should have said dollars it's, rather it's, than pounds. It's, Sorry, again... My ignorance is it's traded in New York because the owners are American and the money was lent by American banks. Well, partially, um, okay. th- there's slightly less scrutiny. Manchester United is actually registered in the Cayman Islands, a place which is not noted for its transparency uh, and yes. governance and things of that nature. I read Private Eye, I understand. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, well, funny, it always sets an alarm bell going off,
2: doesn't it? When you read that someone's registered there or the Bahamas or whatever, so um. So the, the I think you could you could buy United today for a lower price than you could have 12 months ago, but I think anybody buying it would also have to say it's going to cost us X hundred million to invest in the squad. United still have the biggest wage bill of any club in the Premier League. They spent £330 million on wages last season. Their, their, their average salary is £160,000 a week. Wow. Whether that money is being well spent, I think, is very questionable.
1: Well, well that's interesting, I mean during the AZ Alkmaar game which until the England-Czech Republic game I thought was probably the worst game I've seen for quite some time when the commentators were trying to talk about, you know, it's a, it's a young Man United team, it's an experimental Man United team when Owen oh, Hargreaves it was, you pointed out at half time that the average age of that Man United team was a year older than the Altmar team and that it had cost something like £440 million to put together, so when you put those figures together and you're getting nil-nil away at outmine. That, that isn't good. But just a final question. Is there any appetite, do you think, from the Glazers to want to sell in the way that we learned from you last week that Mike Ashley would, would as soon as you offer him that cheque, he's gone. Are the Glazers in a similar situation or are they there for the long haul?
2: I, I think there are, there is dissent within the Glazer camp. There has been talk, in case over the last few days, of, of one of the Glazers, uh, Kevin, being trying to my sell favourite. his shares. He's my favourite Glazer. Um, <laughs> Now, Kieran Glazer. i have not got a like, Brighton fan.
1: Don't not, not no. happy
2: with him. But Kevin Glazer,
1: great fellow.
2: So, so, so I think there's, there's six kids. That, I just the, say your look
1: of patience when I interrupt you. It's a joy to behold. Really, you've got kids, haven't you? I could. T- yeah, I could. I've got grandkids. I could tell you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, well done. Um, I don't know why you've gone up in my estimation even further now. I already <laughs> liked you a lot, and now that's
2: almost equaled out the Brighton thing. He's eh? a dude. This dude's got grandkids. <laughs> So um, there's six Glazer children. Malcolm Glazer, it was originally his fiefdom. He effectively, when he passed away, though his shareholdings were effectively transferred to the children, are all of the children interested in football? I think two of them are very keen. I think the others, if somebody offers them the right money, then they'd sell. What will happen if somebody comes in with a big offer? Will be like J.R. Ewing and the uh, and the good old days of Dallas. There'll be there'll uh, be a, there'll be an inter inter family fight.
1: Yeah, Google it, kids. You'll be fine. Um, let somebody ask me that. I want to briefly before we get on to questions from our listeners. And again, thank you for the questions. I'm sorry that we get far more questions than we have time to to get through. Um, at the moment, time constraints in the studio I mean that we haven't got as long as we want, but we will get to as many questions as we can. And in future, we will be led by your question. But somebody did answer me this week about... It's all very well talking about Man United and Newcastle in the Premier League. But they'd like a bit of context. as to We talk about clubs that are wealthy in the Premier League. There is an assumption that the Premier League is one of the biggest industries in the world because of the amount of publicity it gets, the amount of people that are watching it. In, there are very few countries that aren't watching Premier League football. But... Is that necessarily the case? I mean, just give us a little bit of context as to how big the Premier League is as an industry or as
2: a, as a brand. Well, I think I think it's a myth that it's a huge industry. If if, is you, it? if, if, okay. if, if you narrow it down, what other businesses do you know that are open twenty five or thirty days a year? You know, if I go to my local supermarket, I, I, I can buy stuff there any day of the week. Football ground is open once a fortnight. I I have... Steve Paris would
1: hate you saying that uh, because at trustee meetings for the foundation, it annoys me so much that... Now, I understand there's corporate stuff to be done and business lunches to be had, but it annoys me so much just in terms of community values that football clubs aren't open... 14 de- you know, fourteen days of, out of 14. That, that, you know, It annoys me that there aren't lunch clubs for old people, that, for the people who can't afford lunch. It annoys me that the Samaritans aren't there. So that's a, a, a big issue, and something, again, we'll talk about in a few. But it's interesting to hear you say that from a, an asset point of view, it makes no sense either from a business point of view.
2: No, because you, you know, how do you make money? You sweat your assets. Well, if you're yeah. only sweating them once a fortnight. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I got my big calculator out uh, in advance of this question. And... Is that because of the age thing? You need a... Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um the total money generated by the Premier League since it started in 1992 and football didn't exist before then apparently. Of course. Um <laughs> yes. that it, that comes to 47 billion pounds. If you take bet365, which is one betting company based in Stoke, last year the total bets received by bet365 in one year 57 billion pounds. Wow. Wow. that's genuine. That's a genuine well wow moment.
1: I've, I'm going to tell the truth now. One of the wows in podcast one was I had to put it
2: on, but but that was a genuine wow. That's so twelve billion pound. That's
1: astonishing. And,
2: and that's coming from one betting company. You've got Ladbrokes. You've got you got Beth. You've got Paddy Power and others. You know, uh, other other we'll, other gambling we'll put, companies we'll, are also available.
1: Just, we'll put that in context. I mean, are they are they earning? You know, so. You know, Dulux, for example, would they be a bigger company than the, the Premier? I mean, I mean that's fascinating. It was, well, how? how that's a, you can't answer that question. Without, I realise as I asked you that question, even the top finance expert at Liverpool University is not going to be able to say, "Oh yeah, Dulux definitely." Yeah, Scrap that question from the record, Your Honour. But you, you talk about generating money. It, 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 what what does that mean exactly? You said it, it's generated X billion pounds of Premier League.
2: Does that mean for the for the clubs? So so each club has earned a certain amount of money, and that's... That's right. Clubs generate money from three sources. Match day income, um, broadcasting is, income, Yeah. so match day is your tickets. Which is the lowest by a long way, I imagine, isn't it? That's right. Um, yeah. uh, then you've got broadcasting, and then you've got commercial. And, and it varies from club to club. So for United, they make about 20% of their money from match day. Um, if you drop down to a club such as Bournemouth, it's about 4%. Because it's an eleven thousand seater stadium, yeah, and and they price course. accordingly, and it's, actually, it's...
1: I'm, I'm generally and this is not an insultable, but I'm generally surprised it's as much as that, on, on for any Premier League club. To be honest, four percent, because you you would guess that the commercial on the TV would be huge. so. So uh, we've some of us have been labouring under a misapprehension. Then this this giant global brand it isn't actually that significant in terms of finances. Then is it?
2: Yeah, it's it's a small business with a big voice. Because it dominates the back pages and sometimes the front pages, as we've been seeing in uh, in stories breaking recently that that's interesting. well let's get on to because uh, again the time is against us um
1: uh I just somebody just tweeted me a question about man united funny enough, which uh oh no, they haven't <laughs> we'll have to try that out is the price of football just tweeted me a question about man United. That's, yeah. That's that's karma that's, that's for taking the mickey out of you, for a big scream because you've got grandkids. Um, let's get <laughs> questions. Plain Old NH is a question. Oh, yeah. is, is tweeted as a question. Um, and it, it's a point that some football fans are happy to agree with. Uh, the sensible ones, the ones around our age. Plain Old NH says, fans have unrealistic expectations. Based on average income for each league, what should the annual wage bill be and how far away from it are most clubs and I think that's a I think that's a question that most when you talk football finances immediately most people say players wages they always say it's totally skewed by players wages so a, a sensible answer what are we looking at here what should their wage bill be
2: and how far are they from it um in the, the Premier League's pretty successful because of the the, uh, the broadcasting money and all of the commercial money um Clubs can survive if the average wage was sixty three thousand pounds a week. Um, the average wage is, in fact, sixty eight thousand. So the Premier League overall is may- is losing a little bit of money, but yeah, you know, it's, it's 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 broadly there. I think the big issue is in respect of of the Championship. If if clubs in the Championship were to break even then they shouldn't be spending more than four and a half to five grand a week on wages. The four and a av- half to
1: five grand a week? Four and a and half week?
2: To, a week. For a 22-player squad? Or yeah, 25-man 20- 25, 25 squad. They shouldn't be... Wow. They're a lot... Long- oh, wow. But the average wage in the championship, 16 grand a week. Wow. Um, and I saw uh, there, there was an article I think it was in the athletic about q p r this morning yeah um, and the manager, I think Mark Warburton was saying we 've got some of the lowest paid players in in the league there are some of them are on less than ten thousand pounds a week, and yeah you know, I think you know, perhaps we ought to be sending up a GoFundMe page. <laughs> uh, you and I, Kevin, if,
1: if they're on that. Well, so it's a good question from plain old NH, um, and the answer is a long way away, unfortunately. The final questions, we do have to go. Uh, Richard Redmond has uh, tweeted with his question, is there any follow-up on the Hillsborough sale? Um, and we haven't got a lot of time for you to explain a slightly murky story. Uh, he said there were talks of sanctions against Sheffield Wednesday, uh, and he's finished that with Love from a Concerned Blade. So we know where Richard's coming from, but um, it's either good news or bad news concerning your point of view.
2: Right. To to quickly summarise that story, Sheffield Wednesday um, have been ambitious. They've they've tried to get into the Premier League. They've lost a lot of money. Therefore, they were in potentially in breach of financial fair play. So the owner went and sold Hillsborough to himself for 60 million pounds. That's all right, is it? That's all right if Hillsborough is worth 60 million pounds because the Reading owners sold the Majeski to themselves. Now, I'm not an expert on property for 26 million, and West Ham sold Upton Park for 40. Now, if you're telling me that property in Sheffield is worth 50% more than London, then I've got some figures in my own head a little bit wrong.
1: So, this is not an independent valuation, this is Sheffield Wednesday. The valuing their own ground? Uh, it, okay. it, well,
2: it's Sheffield Wednesday's independent Indep- valuer, uh, uh,
1: valuing it at £60 million. I, I, Right, OK. And <laughs> just to cheer Richard up and maybe depress the Sheffield Wednesday fans listening, what's the potential outcome? Are sanctions likely? Or, or as you say, this is well within the parameters of, of what's considered acceptable and is totally legal and, and above board?
2: well the the EFL uh they're investigating they're investigating the sale of hillsborough for 60 million they're investigating the sale of pride park by derby to themselves to the owner for 80 million right. and they're also doing the same in respect of villa park well
1: it's a slightly depressing note on which to end the pod but um I, unfortunately when you talk about football finances it's probably going to be more depressing notes than optimistic ones but uh, thank you for listening again and again for the third week running I, I'd, I might have to shave my eyebrows off basically, it's just going to be much easier uh, mm-hmm. as my hairline's getting further back so it's getting harder for my eyebrows to actually reach where it used to um, thank you Kira Maguire uh, the brilliant Kira Maguire is how I'm going to describe you from now on, the price of football is uh, going to be a little bit longer to tell you because my phone just went off but we let it out that when we got guys laughing too much at to, the producers that's always a good sign it could be crying The Price of Football podcast is an adaptive production and is recorded at Soho Radio Studios I'm Kevin Day, that was the brilliant Kieran Maguire, uh, join us again next week Ah, mm,
0: The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on That's nice, at Caskers.com, we make this experience easy